too often we just think of our setting as like a building or an avenue or a place, kind of a facade, sort of like on a stage. It's just a facade, and we're going to put the characters in front of it, and the plot's going to happen, and that's going to be it. And you can do that, but I think when you do that, just that, you really rob your story of some richness that can be helped by thinking of your setting as more than just random place, random time, plugged in to serve as a utility. Hopefully not ill-advised. Uh, I've been fighting the flu, for those of you who don't know. I've been fighting the flu for the past week. And uh, today I'm just kind of draining. I know that's a really awesome image to give to y'all. Um, but today I'm just kind of draining, but my voice is sort of back, and I'm really excited about this series. And I wanted to try to record. So hopefully you'll hear this. If you're hearing it, it means I was successful. If you're not, then I'm talking to myself right now. And that's kind of a cool meta moment. <laughs> so anyway, today here's what we're going to do. We've been talking about storytelling and how to tell a story and how to write a story, how to take an idea from the thought in your head and get it onto the page. And we've really right now been in the pre-writing stage. We talked about doing a brain dump and getting things out, talked about fleshing out your idea. Last week we talked about, well, not last week, the week before last, last time we had this podcast that wasn't the Halloween special. We talked about characters and defining characters via not only who they are, but the negative space around them. It was a good episode. I really recommend you you take a listen to it. Uh, if you haven't been keeping up, go back, listen to them at your leisure. You don't necessarily have to listen to these in order, but I, I'm kind of recording them in a certain way because I think it helps people who haven't used these techniques get stories onto the page differently. Uh, as always, if something I say works for you or doesn't work for you, then feel free to not do it. Um, definitively, feel free to throw my advice away if it's bad advice. But if it's good advice, I, I think you should try it and give it a whirl. Or if you've never tried it and you don't know how to work, I mean, give it a go and then determine if it's good or bad. And if it's bad, throw it away. And if it works for you, do it. And if you have to adjust it, well, do that too. Okay, so the, the early kind of preliminary warnings out of the way, let's jump in. So last week we talked about characters, right? How to develop characters, how to create characters, how to flesh them out. But there's one character we didn't talk about. There is a character so central to your story that they are as vital, in my opinion, as your main. Your main character and this character are just as important. The funny part is this character is often the most neglected character in your roster. You will have little side characters who are better fleshed out and more thoughtfully composed than this one. And it's a shame because this character, this character can really just bring an entirely new level of depth to your story. It's just that we, we often ignore it. What I'm talking about, in case you haven't figured it out yet, and, and maybe you haven't, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about your setting, place. Where does your story happen? We tend to think of setting as a location and a time frame, right? 
we think about it in very geographic terms, right? I have set it in a desert, and this is what a desert is. Or I have set it in the 18th century in pre-revolutionary America, and this is what that time period would contain. We tend to think of those things very static, right? We, we kind of want to dial it in. It's as though our, our setting for a story is something that we can do on a dial, like it's an oven dial, and we can get it to like 450, 475, and that's where we want it. And there's really no more fine-tuning to it than that. And certainly, you can write a story with setting that way and make it work. There's nothing stopping you. You can write a story that way. You can use your setting that way. You can create everything. And, and it'll work. It'll function. But you're missing an opportunity. Because setting is, is settings and places and times are much more vivid than we often give them credit for as writers. What do I mean? Consider where I live for a moment. Now, I live, for those of you who don't know, I live in Charleston, South Carolina. It is a coastal city on the coast of the state of South Carolina in the United States. It is in the American South. It is on the American East Coast. It is right there in the area where hurricanes come every year. It is one of the oldest cities in America. It has a long history. And it's, you know, it's a small city. It's around, I think, the entire total area, the three counties that kind of comprise the general Charleston area, not just downtown, but North Charleston and Somerville and the places around it, the kind of Charleston metro area is around 800,000 people, probably more by now. So it's a, it's a place. And it's easy enough, right? Charleston's been represented in a ton of film and in a ton of books. It's, it's a popular location to write about. It has the old, big southern houses, the Charleston singles, as they're called, because frontage of your house was how you were charged taxes. So they are very long houses with very short frontages. Um, they, they're really interesting looking. All these palatial, like, plantation-style homes out along the Battery all of these society balls and the southern stuff and all of this. There's a lot of money. There's there's Folly Beach and Sullivan's Island and these these Atlantic coastal areas that are so ripe for drama. And and that is largely how Charleston has been depicted in book and film. It is a romantic southern place. That's fine. And I, as a writer living here, could easily set a story here and dive deep into that same description of Charleston. But I've never loved that description of Charleston. Now, I've lived here for, I mean, God, I'm probably going on 20 years. And I've never loved that description of Charleston because I feel like that romantic Folly Beach, mm, everything's so good, kind of Mary Alice Monroe, no offense to her as a writer, but, but this kind of romantic image of the Charleston beach and the beach houses and the battery homes and society that you hear a lot about in this area. I feel like it's only part of the story and I feel like it's a really surface level cut of the story. I do because you see Charleston as a place is interesting. Like let's look at it for a minute. Just, just think about it this way. If I treat Charleston as a character, if I look at Charleston from all of its different dimensions and not just one, Charleston's one of the oldest cities in America. Well, again, if you're a European listener to me, you're probably chuckling because your cities are infinitely older. But there's something interesting about being one of the oldest cities in America. It means that the city dates back and travels through a lot of problematic history. 
For example, one of the oldest Unitarian churches is here in Charleston, and in front of this Unitarian church is a plaque recognizing and acknowledging and sort of offering an apology to the fact that that church was constructed by slave labor. Charleston was a major point in the slave trade, right? This this area was a major point in the selling of human beings. It was a gem in the, in the crown of the Confederacy during the Civil War. Fort Sumter, right off the coast, is where the war began. Right? It has this long-standing heritage that has, has reached through the ages. Right? There are the Gullah people down here, which is just an entirely separate thing to get into, and one that I'm still studying to try to learn more about. Right? You have this this culture of the Gullah maintaining connection to African roots and, and founding a very distinctive cultural vibe here in this area that's lasted for hundreds of years. Right? You have slave cemeteries. Right? Go around and see a slave cemetery. It's a really interesting thing to see. It's tragic, but also fascinating. Right? That history of slavery is entwined with Charleston. You can't escape it. You know, it's this interesting moment that, that kind of culminated years ago with the, the Mother Emanuel shooting. You know, downtown on Calhoun Street, Emanuel AME Church, known as Mother Emanuel, one of the oldest AME churches in America, where a young racist asshole went in and committed mass murder of black people in the goal of starting a race war. And it made national news and people came and, and it was this thing that happened, this horrible crime that happened in a place. And at the time there were a lot of riots and stuff going on and Charleston didn't riot. And of course we bragged about that because Charleston loves its civility. And yet now it's 2022 and I can tell you that that civility that we used to brag about with Charleston Strong was either a, a fabrication or has gone away as time has moved and that spirit is gone. Think about what I just said. That's, that's, that's a thread right? A city that was built on slavery. Like, can we appreciate the beautiful things and, and not realize that they're all haunted with ghosts of, of a horrible past? What about the fact that Charleston has this interesting wealth disparity? There are some people that have a great deal in Charleston. There are others who don't. Downtown restaurants in Charleston have a hard time maintaining staff because no one wants to drive from North Charleston and Somerville where they can afford to live to downtown where they can't to make enough money to not even justify the drive. There's that. There are people here who are doing incredibly well. There is a great industry of media looking in Charleston for celebrity appearances as they come and stroll down King Street to shop. Right? You have this legacy of a place that's nickname is the Holy City. Because, as I understand it, and again, a lot of this is second, third-hand information, so I'm not the definitive story historian of the city, but because in the skyline you could see more crosses from church steeples in it than anything else. And when I first moved here, that was very true, but now it's not. Now things stick up through the skyline, all kinds of stuff has grown. The Charleston skyline does not look like it did when I first came down here. There's a giant bridge in it now that wasn't there. I'm kind of glad. I love that bridge. The old bridge was a nightmare. You know, there's there's larger areas. The the city of Mount Pleasant across the river from Peninsular Charleston has become this overgrown suburban sprawl. 
North Charleston has continued to grow and, and benefit from kind of taking the business that downtown doesn't want to put in its palatial kind of beautiful garden. You see where I'm going with this? Like, this isn't a podcast to describe the city of Charleston in depth. This is to say that if you really get down to it, this city has much more going for it than, ah, look at the beautiful facades of the homes on the Battery and wander hand-in-hand down Folly Beach. Go to Sullivan's Island and sit with a lover and look at the long waves in the distance, and that's all valid. It's all there. But to think that that is the only thing that makes this place is naive. This is a place built on slave labor. The downtown streets are, some of them are cobbled together with ballast rocks. People look at them and go, oh, it's cobblestone. It's ballast rocks. Ballast rocks, which were rocks that were put in a ship to keep it weighted properly until they got here and unloaded the rocks so they could take on cargo and leave. This was a merchant city. This is a city with the history of Blackbeard the Pirate. This is a city that has its history with the Revolutionary War. This is the city that during the Civil War, Sherman didn't burn. As he marched through the South and slashed and burned at lots of places, Charleston didn't get burned. This is a city that has a remarkable amount of, of liberals in an incredibly conservative place. Right? For God's sakes, this is a city with a baseball stadium for a minor league baseball team that was made named after a mayor, and not just a mayor who then retired from office, but a mayor who was the sitting mayor when it was named. That's the kind of stuff that the Caesars did in Rome, guys. This is fascinating. So what's the point of this like five, six, seven, eight minute description of where I live? It's to show you that what you need to do with your setting, with your place, you need to open it up and dig into it. There is more to London than what we have already seen. There is more to Charleston than what you have been shown. There is more to anywhere. You can dive deep and make it a character. Charleston, for example, can be a beautiful setting for a southern romance between two kids just off on the breeze. Or what an amazing setting for a ghost story in a place where so many of the buildings are so old they've started to decay and rot. Right? In a place where floodwaters rise. Every year the waters rise higher in Charleston, and there's a part of me that always wonders, as the waters rise higher, does it disturb ghosts in the grave? I don't know. We're not New Orleans. We never built our cemeteries with mausoleums to keep them from floating up. Like, we have people in the ground... That's going to happen one day. Think about that. What angle can I take? I'm going to stop talking about Charleston because I feel like I've really leaned in on it. But that, but that was kind of the point, was to show you that a place has more than one dimension. What about your setting? Right? If you set it on a dark city street, how can you let the dark city street carry some of the weight? Right? Your setting can establish mood. A dark city street that's wide, right? A giant wide dark city street like Broadway at night is not the same as a tiny dirt road. Or an alleyway in Charleston. Those different locations, those different ways of describing, will create different feelings in your reader. 
they will change how your reader feels about things. They will alter it. They will adjust it. Your setting can make people feel claustrophobic or anxious. Or it can make them feel calm and at ease. It can create a false sense of calm. Much like we can have unreliable characters, how do I know that your setting is what it really seems to be? Again, if you just came to Charleston and didn't think about its past history, you could walk down the streets and see beautiful buildings and wonderful things and never realize how much of this place was steeped in the slave trade. How many of these buildings were made by slave labor? You could walk through Hampton Park, not my park, by the way, but shares a name with me. You could walk through Hampton Park and completely miss the statue of Denmark Vesey. The man who was falsely killed because of a slave uprising that was supposedly planned that historical evidence largely agrees was mostly made up. But you could miss that statue because it's kind of tucked away a little bit. You could walk right by it and never know. So if I were writing Charleston, would I write Charleston as a beautiful place? Would I write it as a place with a dark history? Or would I write it as a beautiful place with a dark history that it doesn't always want to tell you about? And if I make Charleston unreliable in my story, if I make it a deceptive character, what can I do to create that further tension in my story via that deceptive character? You see, the point of this whole rant is to say that sometimes when you look at your setting, instead of as just a place at a time, instead of saying, uh, nighttime, a dark city street, right? What time of night? Night is a long time, boys and girls. Right now where I'm living, it's getting dark at around 6.30, 7 o'clock. So is it 8 p.m.? 8 p.m. night is very different from 3 a.m. night. Where I live in my particular part of town at 8 p.m., you can smell your cars driving everything else. Last night I woke up at 3.35 for some reason and it was dead silence. Oddly creepy. Relaxing, but creepy. Right? Think about what you can do with setting. Is the place a liar? Is the place honest? Is the place defeated? Think about a defeated place. Think about a town. Again, I'm, I'm American, so I'm going to speak of this from an American perspective a lot. But I think about some of these towns, these old steel and coal mining towns and, and in places like Pennsylvania and West Virginia that have just slowly died. The industry went away and the town is just kind of dying. It's not dead yet. It's not going to die today. But it will that probably will never be alive again. It's slowly kind of fading and dying. Every year, more and more leave. Every year, another building collapses or crumbles. So one day, no one will be there, and the natural world around those buildings will just sort of take them back over hundreds of years. Right? I think about when I went to West Virginia with my partner, um, she and I were driving through and I saw a strip mine and it's, it's a devastating thing to see. Think about the nature of that, a strip mine. What is a strip mine beyond just a place where we've ripped minerals out? Like what has that done to the place? I urge you to think about your settings as characters, as people. The, the, the exercise on this is very simple. Just sit down and do the same thing you would do for a character for your setting.
whether it's a specific place or a place made up in your mind, think about it that way. Right? When we, when we think about the great, like this is really big in fantasy. Fantasy and science fiction are often created worlds. And the stories that we really love are stories where those worlds felt alive, right? So, for example, my, one of my favorite books of all time is Dune. I've never made any doubt. I think it's actually probably my favorite book of all time. It's Dune. And Dune, Arrakis, the desert planet, is very much a character in that book. In that entire series of books, Dune is very much a character. Dune is merciless and unforgiving. Dune does not care. And you have people who try to tame Dune and break it to their will, which never works out because Dune is not impressed. And then you have others who bow in reverence to Dune and accept its burden as kind of a test from God and become a different people for that. But Dune very much is a character in that book. Middle-earth is very much a character in The Lord of the Rings. Right, another great example, again, not, not talking about politics or whether I like the author or not, because I actually really think she's a terrible human being. Um, Harry Potter, Hogwarts, is a character. All those places are characters. Really memorable stories tend to treat the setting as a character. They tend to allow it to contribute and to interact. Now, again, this is very common in sci-fi and fantasy where it's sort of required because you have to make up places. And if you want to make up good places, you have to really get in there and, and build. But that doesn't mean you can't do it for your standard fiction piece. It doesn't mean you can't do this for your nonfiction piece, right? Consider if you're writing an essay about going into Yankee Stadium. What is Yankee Stadium? How does it feel? How do you interact with that? The stadium has a certain feel. It has a certain smell. Every baseball stadium in America is unique. That's an interesting fact, right? They all feel different. How does Yankee Stadium feel? What does it do to you when you go in there? How do you interact with it? So as we move forward on this, here's what I want you to do. If you've been following along, you started and made a thought and got the thought fleshed out. And then you did a brain dump and threw everything you knew out. And then you went back and you started fleshing out your characters. And now, while you're in that character creation state of mind, I think you should sit down and try to flesh out your setting. Spend some time with it. See what is unique about your place. What can it tell you? Learn about it. Dive into it. Like, I spent all that time describing to you various things about Charleston, which, to be honest, are why I haven't ever really set a story in Charleston, because I just haven't decided how I want to depict the setting. That says a lot. It's twenty, almost 20 years, and I haven't figured out how to depict the city I live in. But take a minute. Think about it. Even if it's just a city street, even if it's just a room in a house, treat it like a character. Flesh it out. What's happened there? What hasn't happened there? Is this a place where momentous things happen, or is this a normal place where the first momentous thing that's ever going to happen is the one you're going to write about? Does it have a dark history? Does it have no history? Does it have a good history? Can you believe it? Can you trust it? Is the beauty of the place real? Is it illusory and fake? 
if you can't trust your setting, then does that make it feel more dangerous? To me, it does. To me, in a story, if I can't trust a place, it feels more dangerous. A great example of this, I know I'm throwing examples at you because there's just not a whole lot to this, really. Uh, but a great example of this is in Stephen King's It. Derry, Maine is a place that theoretically is supposed to be this just slice of American life, Maine town. Kind of calm and innocent and safe. But it's not. Beneath the town is a thing that makes the town very dangerous. The town's whole history has been dangerous. But people forget. And Derry, Maine, for lack of a better way of saying it, is a liar. You can't trust it. That creates more tension. Because now when you're reading about either the adults in the present or the children in the past, when you read about those kids riding down a city street, you know they're not safe. You know it. Because the city is a liar. So take a minute. Take some time. Sit down with your setting. Get to know it like you did your characters. Think about what it is. Describe it. Figure out its age and all of those demographic particulars. Think about what it is. And then think about what it isn't. And be honest. Even if you love your place, be honest about its dark parts. Figure it out. Create it like a character. Because I promise, when you treat your setting like a character, when you develop it like you would develop a character, then what will come out on the page will be just as fully fleshed out as the characters. So you see what we've done here. We've taken an idea. we fleshed it out. We threw down everything we know and just let ourselves go wild with it. We pulled characters and defined them. Now we're pulling the place to define it. So the next step in our journey that we'll do next week, God willing, I'm not dead, is to talk about the story and what is going to happen. So take a minute and create the most beautiful, vibrant, rich, multi-layered, deceptive, creepy, dark, horrific, wondrous setting that you can. Think about it like a character. It is every bit as important as your main characters, every bit as important as your antagonist. Maybe it is your antagonist. There's a curveball. Maybe your setting is the antagonist. Treat it like a character. Let it be fully realized and fleshed out. And I think you'll be happy with the results. Well, looks like we did it. Uh, I'm done with this, and... You know, just take that time, figure out your character. I know that was kind of an anticlimactic end, but I'm just really impressed that I made it through this without, like, just draining all over this microphone. So, before I embarrass the hell out of myself, I hope you enjoy figuring out your setting setting as a character. I'm glad to be back. Until next time, I'm Matt, just a working writer, and this has been my confession. I'll talk to you all again real soon. (laughs) 